with God's Word this morning that you'll be desiring to be a doer of God's Word and not a hearer only. A question for you, and I am looking for a response. Who are the sinners in our community, in our valley, that is, those considered sinners by most? Who are the sinners in our community, in our valley, that is, those considered sinners by most? Ray. Okay, Ray is one of them. Okay. Thank you, Ray. By God's grace, he can change us. Mike. Okay, alcoholics, prostitutes. Any others? Judges. Lawyers. Any others? I got a follow up question. I'm not looking for an answer to this one. Are we spending time with them and eating with them to point them to Christ? Next question With what sinners in our area, in your world of influence, are you spending time with to bring them to Christ on their turf? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark is writing to believers, the church in Rome. They're experiencing some persecution and some difficulty. And Mark writes in chapter 1, 1 through 20, explaining Christ and who he is. And then building upon that, he writes and shares concerning Christ, who he is and what that looks like in Christ's life and how he ministered. But want to read together verses 13 through 17 of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi get up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Please seek to understand that as we discuss Mark, that in Mark 1, 1 through 20, Christ has been presented for who he is. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, Through chapter 3 and verse 12, Jesus shows his authority, who he is in terms of authority. In chapter 2, 1 through 12, which we discussed the last two weeks, he has authority to forgive sins. And he forgave the paralyzed man his sin. In the passage we're discussing this morning, he has authority to call a tax collector to be his follower. In chapter 2, 18 through 22, he has the authority to disband fasting. 
In chapter 2, 23, that's 23 through 28, I think, he has authority over the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then in chapter 3, 1 through 6, he has the authority to heal on the Sabbath. In each account, Jesus runs into trouble with the religious authorities, primarily the Pharisees. You look at verse 16 of chapter 2. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? In chapter 3 and verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. He also ran into trouble with the scribes in chapter 2 and verse 6. Now some of the teachers of the law, they were scribes, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And in the Herodians, chapter 3 and verse 6, they're involved in plotting to kill. It's interesting that we see two kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And you find throughout Mark that they're constantly in conflict. And the people that are usually in conflict with Jesus are the religious people, but in the kingdom of darkness. Also, in each account, Jesus supersedes the Torah and the tradition of the elders, showing what happens when the Son of God goes public, exploiting the customs and conventions of that day. His own, the Jews, did not receive him. That is very obvious in these accounts. Keep in mind also that Andrew, Simon, James, and John continue to be with Jesus. And I emphasize they're with him. They're seeing all that is taking place. This particular passage, passage of scripture deals with money. You know, a tax collector. And just to set the stage for taxes, R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary in Mark, according to the Congressional Quarterly Almanac, for, 19, or for the 98th Congress, our national budget, and we're going back quite a few years on this, for fiscal 1985 was $1.021 trillion. A lot of money. Just to give you some idea what that looks like, how much money we're dealing with. If you look at or begin at the birth of Christ, spending 1,400,000 a day till 1985, you would have spent $1.021 trillion. To spend $1.2 trillion in 1985, you would have to spend... $32,000 a second, 2 million a minute, or more than 114 million an hour. Now think of the energy it takes to spend that much money. Or even better, think of the energy it takes to collect it. 
we would think it's impossible. Taxes have been around for many, many years. Here we have a tax collector that Jesus is responding to. If you look at verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, the Sea of Galilee. He's ministering there, and he's ministered there quite often. And again, Andrew, Simon, Peter, and James are with him. But he's out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. He's in a public setting. The crowd came to him. And keep in mind that in light of verse 45 of chapter 1, it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So a crowd has gathered around. And what is he doing? He began to teach them. So often we're tempted to think about the ministry of Jesus and we think of his healing, casting out demons. But you will find that most of the time teaching and preaching appears before healing and casting out demons. In chapter 1 and verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach them. In chapter 1 and verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Then he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. In chapter 2 and verse 2, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And here he is by the lake, teaching to the crowds. I want to impress upon you that central to the ministry of Christ was preaching and teaching, and that preaching and teaching involved Christ. That is, he is presenting himself, because he is the good news. So here we find Jesus by the lake, a large crowd came to him, and he is teaching them. And as he walked along, He saw the son of Alphaeus sitting at a tax collector's booth. We find that this guy is a tax collector. In that day, they collected taxes. In the Roman world, there were two categories of taxes. There were stated taxes, a poll tax. Men and women were taxed just for being alive. You know, we're taxed in some ways on that, you know, we're just alive. There was a ground tax, one ground or one-tenth of all grain, one-fifth of all wine, and oil produced and fish in some areas were taxed. There was an income tax, 1% of one's annual income. There were also taxes called duties for using roads or docking in harbors. There was a sales tax on certain items. There was an import tax, an export tax. Carts were taxed. Each wheel was taxed. 
So you're going down the road carrying your goods. A tax collector could stop you and say, what do you have? And he could tax you according to what he wanted. Because the way taxes were collected was that the Romans had a tax collecting system. What I guess you would say is a tax farming, just as we have a McDonald's franchise. You know, someone can buy a franchise for McDonald's. So the Roman government would say, we want this much money for taxes. And Matthew said, ah, I want to be the one that collects his taxes in Capernaum. And the Roman government would say, here's how much money we want. So Matthew, if he was required to give $1,000 a year, if he collected 2000 what happened to the other 1000 He kept it. If he collected 3000 what happened to the other 2000 He kept it. So there was a great opportunity for extortion to take place. The tax collectors were hated men. They were called despicable. You couldn't put them in a category that could be any worse. And here we find Jesus. What's he doing? He walk, he's walking along. He sees Levi, son of Alphaeus. And what does he say? Follow me. Who's he saying follow me to? A despicable tax collector. Jesus saying that to Matthew would be comparable to you reading in the paper that I've been having meals with the several judges in our county. Here's Jesus inviting a tax collector to follow him. Now remember, the one who is giving the invite is Jesus. He's unique. He's the son of God. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is a father who is pleased with him. He is yielded to God's spirit. He is able to resist Satan. He is intimately related to the kingdom of God. He teaches with authority. He commanded an evil spirit to come out of a man. He has authority over sickness and demons. He's able to forgive sins, thus he is God. He knew what the teachers of the law were thinking. He healed the paralytic to show that he had authority to forgive sins. This man, the Son of God, says to this tax collector, Follow me. We're at opposite ends of the world. He says, Follow me. Now I want you to notice that the invitation takes place on Matthew's turf. He's calling the tax collector to be a follower of him, to be a learner, to be an apprentice. It would be like me saying to one of our former county judges, hey, I want you to come and follow me. I want to train you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And the community would go, no way, no way, no way. Jesus is inviting a tax collector to follow me. The tax collector, Levi, apparently had some knowledge of Jesus because Jesus has been ministering for some period of time. But nevertheless, he is called to follow Jesus. Levi get up and followed him. He's leaving his livelihood to follow him. Now I want you to notice something in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, there's a time lag between verses 14 and verses 15, or verse 15. Because they had to travel from being by the Sea of Galilee to Levi's house. The meal had to be prepared. The guest had to be seated. What's Jesus doing? Not only did he call Levi to follow him. He's having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him also. Not only Levi, Levi's house, apparently he had a nice-sized house, probably built by extorting money from the people. He's not the only tax collector there. There's other tax collectors there having dinner with Jesus. And sinners. He's eating with them along with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So we're dealing with a large group of people in Levi's house. Now notice what the text says. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they saw him, they weren't eating. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's the Son of God, the one who is is able to forgive sins, the one who teaches with authority, eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees, being of the kingdom of darkness. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's interesting that Jesus is the one who answers. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now think about that statement. He's eating with tax collectors, he's eating with sinners, and Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The Pharisees thought they were healthy, the teachers of the law thought they were healthy, and Jesus is saying, I didn't come to call you because you're not sick. You still think you're healthy. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
I'm eating with those that I came to call. Tax collectors and sinners. You know, sometimes we have the assumption that the sinners are to come to us. The tax collectors are to come to us. Jesus went to them. In 19th century England, there was a poor woman who attended a church women's meeting. She'd been living with a man of another race by which she had a baby, and she brought the child with her. She liked the meeting and came back again and again. But when the leader came to her and said, I must ask you not, I must ask you not to come to this meeting again. Seeing her questioning look, he continued, The other women say that they will stop coming if you continue to come. Looking at him with a very wistful look, she asked, Sir, I know that I'm a sinner, but isn't there anywhere a sinner can go? Fortunately, the Salvation Army found her and she was claimed for Christ. This is what Matthew or Levi was up against in dining with Christ. Or Christ dining with him. The point of this passage, the Son of God came to save sinners. Thus he spent time with them. He has the authority to call a tax collector to be his follower. Jesus came for sinners. He spent time with them. As you think about the point of the passage, some applications. Jesus was with the sick so that he could minister to them. Jesus was with the sick so that he could minister to them. Should we be with the sick so that we can minister to them? Go back a few years in my own life when I went to see Dr. Makel. And suppose Dr. Makel opened the door and said, Dan Brubaker, I just want you to know that I can't come in to see you because you're sick. And I'm a physician. And I don't want to be in the presence of the sick. But I am a physician. I would have walked out and I would have went to the reception and said, don't bill me for this office visit because he's a quack. Because if he's a physician, he's got to spend time with the sick. Jesus was a physician. If we're believers in Christ, we're physicians. What do we have to do? Spend time with the sick. 
That may be on the job. That may be inviting a neighbor into your home or you going into a neighbor's home. That may be going out to lunch with one of our county judges or one of the other corrupt people or with a prostitute for you ladies on that one. Inviting someone into your home, you know, interacting, spending time with them. Spend time with sick people in your area or in our area on their turf. R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary, perhaps none of us expound such pharisaical beliefs. That is that we just hate sinners and never want to be with them. But many of us live this out nevertheless. We come to Christ, and in our desire to be godly, we seek out people like us. Ultimately, we arrange our life so that we are with non-believers as little as possible. We attend 100% Christian Sunday school. We have prayer meetings that are 100% Christian. We play tennis with Christians. We eat dinner with Christians. We have Christian doctors, Christian dentists, Christian plumbers, Christian veterinarians, and even our dogs are Christian. The result is we pass by hundreds without even noticing them or positively influencing them for Christ. None of us are Pharisees philosophically, but we may be practically. We need to reach out to people with whom we work, go to dinner with them, attend sports events together, have them over. We need to extend ourselves to those who are hurting, provide a room for an unwed mother, minister to the multiple cultures around us, volunteer in a local prison, get involved in our community. As believers, we're tempted to live our lives in cliques, our Christian group. a challenge for you. Let's suppose we have our corn roast. And at our corn roast, there, is, there are two families present that are considered sinners. Do we spend our time talking to the sinners or do we spend the majority of our time talking to those that we feel comfortable with? I remember a few years back going into Red's Pizza and Subs and getting some looks. Because of who I was with. I was with one of the sinners. And the looks came from those who were, quote-unquote, religious. The other sinners just thought, oh, having lunch with one of us. And I walked out of the restaurant, really hit hard. It just affected me. Shouldn't I be trying to reach sinners for Christ? Shouldn't you be trying the same thing? Spending time with them and whatever the Spirit may lead to point them to Christ. 
Accept the fact that religious people at times are the greatest obstacles to spending time with sinners. They may criticize, they may find fault. They may criticize sinners who don't dress right for a service if a sinner comes to service. They may find fault with those who invite sinners into their homes. Did you know that Ron and Dixie invited a questionable or a woman of questionable character into their home? Praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be neat if myself, Ruthann, elders and deacons and teen leaders and Sunday school teachers are known as friends of sinners and striving to reach them for Christ and spending time with them? Not doing what sinners may do, that which is contrary to God's word, but spending time with them, seeking to point them to Christ. That's what Jesus is doing in this context. Sometimes religious people expect believers to avoid meaningful contact with sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Are you a doctor? Are you saved? If so, you're called to minister to the sick. Sinners, tax collectors, and so on. Are you a sinner? That is, haven't you come, if you have not come to Christ, I would invite you to come to Christ because Christ forgives sins, according to the passage that we looked at last week. Christ has the authority to call a tax collector and transform that tax collector from a money-hungry, grabbing person to one who is willing to die on For Christ, which Levi did later on. In light of Christ and who he is, we want to close our service by partaking of communion. Reflecting on Christ, the fact that he came to live, to die, to demonstrate that he was The Son of God, he was able to forgive sins. He could teach with authority. He could call a tax collector to follow him. And as we partake of communion, we're reflecting on the body of Christ through the bread, the blood of Christ through the cup. And it's to be a time where we celebrate what we have in Christ, what Christ has done. It's also time to reflect upon Christ and what he has done. But not in a way that tears us down, but encourages us that he chose to love us. And it's a time to reflect on the fact that we are one with other believers. And through Christ, we're part of the body of Christ. Ask the men to come forward, please.